No matter what happens, Ryan Roland Smith has something to tell his grandkids right here. The breaking ball, he struck him out. Yeah, that will be a story for the rest of his life <laughs> as he strikes out Ken Griffey Jr. This is Grant Balfour being Grant Balfour. Yeah. He, he is, as you mentioned, Jim, he's amped up. He talks a lot. In fact, he has the demeanor of a guy that wants to fight you. You'll never say that I'm not killing them. Kill, kill, killing them. Killing them. Kill, kill, killing them. Justin Hollander, first of all, man, huge congratulations. Thank you. You are the GM. You are the dude. It's weird to say that. <laughs> weird to hear it, I guess. Is it because the reason I say that, and, and going back to the end of this year, because we're in 2022 still, even though this may come out in January. Yeah. But you finish 2022, you find out before the season ends, right? Yeah. And you get done, we get beat in the playoffs, right? Yeah. And here you are now, you've been at this for a long time. You were nine years with the Angels, yep. right? And then you come up when Jerry took the job. I want to get into all this, all this. But now you are the general manager. You hear the term, oh, he's the GM. I mean, that, that, that's, it's kind of like, it, it is essentially the pinnacle, right? Yeah. In baseball. Yeah. It's all downhill from here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I want to, I'm big on hearing people's journeys and stuff because I don't know, I have no idea, but I have to respect how friggin' competitive this is. Now, before yeah. we, just before we go on, you talked about something that it takes a team, it sounds cliche, but to get, not a team to make decisions, but for you to get the job as a GM, it's not just you just beating everyone out, right? How, yeah. it, tell me, how does it work, man? The path to becoming to where you're at and your, and your shoes and your experience, how do you get there? I mean, I probably have about as unusual path as anybody who's been in this role in that I didn't hit my first job in baseball until I was 29 years old. And, you know, from Tony Regans, who was the GM of the Angels when I first took the job, to the assistant GM at the time, Ken Forsh, who was a longtime major league pitcher, and Gary Sutherland, who played in the big leagues for a long time, and you just start naming people who affected your career in a positive way, either because they had been where you want to go and were willing to take the time to teach you, get to know you, invest in you, or then the people who you start hiring as interns or um, younger baseball executives, and then they're smarter than you, so they teach you things you don't know about. And it's like, those are, there's no way to repay the amount of people who invested in me over time. And there's also really like, I could, this whole podcast could be about that. I could just like, you know, do the thing where I unveil the long piece of paper and talk about all the people yeah. who somehow played a role, not a minor role, but a pretty big role, and mm -hmm. me getting the chance to have the title, which you know is, is important, and also the role in affecting the way the Mariners operate. You mentioned a couple of names. So when you walked into the Angels situation, you were walking into a ex-baseball player kind of heavy, right? Now yeah. you obviously, you didn't play in the big leagues. No talent, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> was, was that something that's intimidating? You see it more often now that there's non-baseball people, but walking in in your situation when you started with the Angels, yeah. it was like ex-baseball player slash yeah. that industry heavy, right? It was, um, and I took it as, that wasn't an accident that the composition of the office was as it was when I started. And it also wasn't an accident that they hired me who did not have that background. Yeah. They obviously saw something in me and they wanted that perspective. So it was just, in my case, 
probably tamping down the loudness of my perspective when I started. I was young, I was aggressive and young and loud and wanted to tell everyone, no, this is right and this is wrong. And so for some people, you have to convince them to like participate and, and make sure you share your perspective. For me, it was probably like, let's dial it down a little bit, like learn what you don't know and start sharing at the appropriate time what you think is the right thing to do or the right player to acquire or the right tack to take. So, we'll kicking off though, how, if you didn't have that baseball background, yeah. what separated you? Like from, you know, even from when you were getting interviewed or when you kicked off, yeah. you said, so you went in and you don't strike me as that at all. Yeah. Someone who walks in and says, oh no, this is how, not yeah. this is how it's done. Yeah. But so what separated you then to, to get that kind of job? So I was working as a lawyer, I went to law school. This is what I always wanted to do and I really didn't know how to do it. Yeah. Um, um, there, you know, I would I went to the winter meetings and walked the halls and swallowed my pride and passed out resumes and you know like just. Oh, so you, know, you were that guy. I was that guy. Yeah, I put on a, an ill-fitting suit um, and and walked the halls for four straight days. It was uh, I think it was the 2002 or 2003 winter meetings. Yeah. No, uh, four or five. It was in Anaheim. Whatever year it was in okay. Anaheim. So four or five um, winter meetings and you know I met a lot of people who offered advice met a lot of people who told me we really appreciate it, but we don't have a job for you. And I just kept at it. I kept trying to network and meet people um, that led me to the first job in 2008. So it was, it was like a thousand rejection letters that I had gotten at that point. And even when you got a letter, it was like, all right, awesome. They actually looked at my resume. They took the time to, right. to write me back. Um, so when I, when I got the job or when I went to interview, I, in the meantime, I had taken internships or like sort of hourly paid jobs on the side as like, helping edit the ESPN Baseball Encyclopedia. You know, there's something called a stat stringer who is at every major league game um, who works for Major League Baseball Advanced Media, and they sit next to the official score. So like, when you're watching a game on your phone and you see the dots that are moving around without the video, yeah. someone has to put in what the dots are doing, and that was me. Okay, so you were doing, before you got the, the gig with the Angels, yeah. right? Now, for, first of all, I wanna go back to the winter meetings. We just had the winter meetings. And I'll be honest with you, and, and I swear, every time I walk into that lobby, I I get um, super insecure about walking through there, right? Because, and everyone's like, oh yeah, but you played, I know all these people. I You have to have an agenda when you go there. Yep. There is a lot of loitering. A lot of people standing <laughs> around, and I That's get right. it, man. Even at the bar, like the first time I was there on Sunday night, I'm going there, and I'm trying to go there and, and you know kiss some ass too. I'm yep. not gonna lie, man. Uh, for me, there's a few people that I wanted to get in front of that I was trying to work a few little angles with different things. Yep. And so I'm going there to schmooze. And I'm like, I'm that dude, man. Like, I'm, I don't have an agenda. I'm not there working like you guys. Yeah. But got, people coming up to me saying, oh, hey, and they don't even know who I am. Yeah. But they're introducing themselves and they're, they're the same thing you were doing. They just think that I'm some baseball in some, with some team. Hey, can I give you my business card? And there's some young kid and they've got a suit on. They're sipping the same beer they've had for three hours. I, definitely me. You couldn't afford to buy it, well, a bunch of beers, so you hold the same one for a long time. It's unreal, dude. And again, for me, walking in that lobby at like you know two o'clock, I got to pretend I'm on the phone or something because I've got no agenda half the time. I'm just making sure I. I check the boxes and meet people. How friggin' intimidating is that though? It's really hard, um, and I have to like give credit to the industry at large. Almost all of the interactions I had with people were good. Yeah, like, right. okay. Almost everyone handles it well when you come to them. See, like, I, ex I wouldn't expect that. Yeah, I, I ex sort of expected the worst, and like yeah. with very few exceptions, even if they didn't have anything for you, some word of encouragement, mm -hmm. some send me an email, like I don't, I can't do this now, but you know, I'd love to help in some way. And whether they actually meant it or got back to me, 
they didn't handle the interaction in a way that discouraged me from continuing to do it. It's really hard, and I have a lot of empathy for that path because I did it. You know, and it's it's you're you're walking up to someone who you don't know, yeah. who may or not be able to help you, who has no interest in talking to you and saying, "Please give me a job." That's that's a tough beat to try and to make your way through, and it's you know, but it, it worked. Justin, you have no idea how many times I gave your number out last week. <laughs> 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 goes, oh, I actually know the GM of the Mariners here. He'd take this number. So if you're getting just uh, blown up, but no, I'm joking. I, I owe a lot of people, so I'm fine to do it. I did do that. We had Rick Rizzo's, um Toys for Kids um, charity event. Yeah. And there was a kid who was on stage who got the scholarship. He was he came, awesome. Yeah, he came up to me and goes, oh, hey, man, like I'm a big Mariners fan. But, oh, hey, by the way, the GM's over here. And I dragged him up. Yeah. But you were awesome, by the way. He was so he's an awesome kid. Those kids are all great. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, As I'm walking, I'm like, oh, Justin's never going to speak to me again after this. <laughs> all right, so coming to the Mariners, right, where you are now, and obviously you're the GM, but getting pulled away from the Angels, everyone kind of assumes that when Jerry DePolo took the job, now he was with the Angels as well, yeah. that he's like, oh, okay, I'm just going to bring my guys and they're just going to willingly come up, right? Obviously, everyone knows you've got to move your family, yeah. um, you've got to you know, relocate, there's so many different factors, but it wasn't easy for the Mariners to get you to Seattle in yeah, the first place. I stayed, so Jerry left in, I want to say it was like June or early July mm-hmm. of 2015. 15, yeah. uh, he took the job up here at the end of the 15 season. Um, the Angels hired Billy Epler uh, right after the end of the season that year. Um, and when Billy came, Billy you know, offered me a new deal to stay. I stayed with the Angels for the year with every intention of continuing to work for the Angels. For, the for, only t- to the end of, you stayed with the Angels to win? Through the end of 16. Oh, gotcha. Uh, so for a full another season, I worked for the Angels. Uh, and towards the end of that season, Jerry called Billy to ask for permission to speak with me about a role. Oh, wow. It was a really hard decision for me. Yeah. The Angels are the only team I'd ever worked for. Yeah. Um, I loved living in Newport Beach and Corona Del Mar. Yeah. My son was 14 months old, okay. 15 months old. And like like you said, relocating, moving your family. Yeah. Uh, my daughter was on the way. She Weather. was due in January. <laughs> exactly. I, I always tell the story. No like offense. when we, the first day we got up here, it occurred to us that my son, who was again, 15 months old, yeah. didn't own any socks. Like that's just not, <laughs> like you don't need them. Yeah, right. like, you know, we didn't, oh, I hadn't man. checked the weather in 10 yeah. years. I, you know, I went to law school in San Diego then moved from San Diego to Orange County. It's, yeah. you know, it's 75 degrees and sunny 95% of the day. So like, like coming up here and, and trying something completely new yeah. for my, myself, my family, like I didn't know a lot of people with the Mariners. I knew Jerry and I knew Scott and that was about it. So it was a, you know, it was a hard decision to leave the Angels. So that's so funny because literally I did, I did the same thing. I had um, Kennedy who, uh, Elliot and Kennedy know each other pretty well. But um, same thing, man. We were living in L.A. And, dr- and coming up here, I'd never spent a winter up here ever. Yeah. And I'm from Australia. So I kept asking <laughs> people, oh, winters are pretty bad. Right? Oh, it's not too bad. And then some people are like, they're miserable. Now I'm like Googling about all this Seattle weather stuff. It's so different. It's a massive, massive transition. It is. It, it, took, a, it took a year to, to get used to. Now, like, you know, my kids love seasons and we love the snow in the winter when it does that a couple times a year. And you just kind of just get used to playing through the rain, basically. Mm-hmm. But... It, it was a big transition in a lot of ways. You know, when you work for an organization for nine years, almost 10 years, like yeah. I did, you know everyone. Yeah. You don't just know the people in baseball ops, the people, the satellite employees that are in scouting or player development. Mm-hmm. You know everyone. You know the people on the business side. Yeah. You know the people in ballpark ops. You know, like, if you need something, you know who to go to. And, like, there's comfort in that. And, like, knowing every person that works for the org basically and you, you know you've been there longer than most and going and starting over in a completely new city with completely new people 
I, I do feel like you know the Angels were great to me and told me you can work here for roughly as long as you want. You, you know, we believe in you and all that. So like it was a hard decision. Was Billy Epler a big reason why Otani went to to and to the so Angels? I wasn't there. That was the year yeah. after. Um, so I don't know the answer okay. to that. Um, I obviously you know we we made a pitch uh, to bring Otani here and he ultimately chose the Angels. I couldn't tell you okay. why Billy. Or what role Billy played in that? Because Billy, he was like a scout, like an international scout or something yeah. like that. I, know, I just heard because it's funny. I had Billy actually spoke to. I had a young um, Australian team uh, come over, and, and Billy sat down and spoke to him. It was awesome. Yeah. Mind you, Mike Trout walked on the field, so you got a <laughs> bunch of sixteen-year-olds. Just I'm like, hey, listen, I got I got pissed because I'm like, dude, you got the GM of a team. It took me till I got to the big leagues to talk to a GM. You're 16. You friggin' listen. And, uh, and obviously, yeah, my chat walks out there just like with the you know, cut-off shirt. I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, um, that was the other factor of leaving the Angels that, you know, was hard is like, you know, you're, you're walking away from the rest yeah. of Mike Trout's career. And, right. like, you know, it's – most people in baseball executive roles don't get the chance to watch a transcendent career yeah. from start to end. And, yeah. you know, I thought that I had that chance, and that was something that really was a pull for me to stay is you get to sort of – I was there in 2009 when we drafted Mike and, you know, probably would be there today and through the end of Mike's career, whenever that is. Um, and those are things that are special to be a part of and to watch unfold from start to end. Was it right off of this, speaking of Mike Trout, was it right away you're like, this guy's just going to be absolute superstar? I think everyone felt that way. Like yeah. From the moment he stepped onto the field after we drafted him, um, everybody was like, this guy's just different. And I vividly remember, actually, the first spring training we had a, a like a staff meeting in yeah. the the coach's locker room on the minor league side talking about where players are going to go and our farm director said where do we want to start trout and eric owens who's one of our our minor league coordinators at the time said triple a and i was like <laughs> he's 18 like that seems aggressive but like it was uh i mean everybody knew it didn't take you know a super scout or like even my yeah. untrained eye could tell right. he was just different it's funny man. i always wonder that because you know you have these meetings i'm sure you can sort of paint this picture of you know from whether it be scouts whether it be this person in this role sitting around a big table and then you got to make decisions on players whether it be mike trout or someone else like a lower level prospect no one's heard of you still have to have those people there still has to be that one or two and you have to name names of people saying oh you know um it, that that you know glass half empty yeah. attitude right surely it's um, like, the, and obviously, like, you know, when you have those meetings, you don't usually have them and have long discussions about, like, that sort of player. He yep. kind of tells you when, yeah, yeah. when he's ready to move. And if anything, on that one, I remember Abe Flores was our farm director, um, and he was a big, like, I'm never going to get a chance to be the farm director for anybody better than this. I'm not screwing this one up. We're going slow, <laughs> like, because he's better than anyone I've ever been around. Um, and that's, you know, um, I don't think we screwed it up. Um, yeah. But that's probably mostly due to Mike more than anything that we did. What? And, and when you mentioned, you know, you had someone say, oh, hey, look, you know, send him off to AAA right mm -hmm. away. And then someone says, no, no, pump the brakes. How do you determine, and what are the things, and this is a pretty generic question, but, okay, Julio Rodriguez, yeah. right? You've got a guy who everyone knows. He's just a stud. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there may be that one person, oh, no, he's, he's going to strike out tomorrow. Some, I don't know, yeah. whatever, comment. I'm sure, there's, I'm sure there's that. How do you, do you guys kind of project the next, like, three to five years? In other words, are you saying, okay, now let's send him to Everett mm -hmm. because we want him to land at this age, I mean, you guys are projecting that years in advance, right? So we obviously keep rosters. Um, we tend to go six years out with just projections, but they're just that. It's very inexact science. And ultimately, along the way, what, what we do is we create player plans 
with goals and action steps. And when the player meets the goal uh, in a way that's sustainable, like by checking off the action steps, then we set new goals. Mm -hmm. And that process just continues okay. all along the way. Um, and it's it, there is no formula, there is no um, exact timeline that we put on any player because I mean, you know this, you, like players change quickly. Mm -hmm. They they. Sometimes they, they get better faster, sometimes they get better slower. Sometimes their path is a straight line, oftentimes it's not. And so like by putting artificial bumpers on a player and saying, no, he's, he has to be 21 before he goes to double A right. or triple A, like, I think you're probably doing them a disservice. Um, in the same way of saying like, you know, no, I had him in triple A at this stage, mm -hmm. so I'm just putting him there whether he shows us he's ready or not. Like I just don't, they're human beings. They, you know, we, we need more nuance than that. So our projections are always written in pencil. Was Mike Trout ever, was there ever a conversation from when you guys drafted him where there was a big, you know, at the trade deadline where someone said, oh, no, hey, throw Trout in no. completely <laughs> off no. um, And it's the same thing with when, when you have the transaction. So no one ever suggested that? No. Who got fired And the same later. thing with, with, with Julio. Like when you have tra what, 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 transcendent talents, guys who are just yeah. different, uh, most people aren't, you know, like those don't really come up. Like it just never, you never talk about it. All right, getting into that, I, I want to know the process because people kind of throw stuff out there, and even from a from a media standpoint, even from an ex-player standpoint, you hear different things. All right, let, let's talk about okay, Luis Castillo. Yeah. Okay, so he's out there. You know, first of all, the one, number one challenge is you're competing against other teams yep. to try and land this guy. Yeah. He's the guy you want to go get. Then you got to start formulating the plan of what prospects are you comfortable a giving up yeah and what's it going to take and all these things talk us through the process from day one you and jerry and whoever else is in that room saying look louise castillo here's the guy and i'm sure you've got three or yeah. four guys underneath him yeah. if you don't land louise castillo what's the first step like contacting the team like it talk us through all those little so you know most years trade deadline is end of july early august mm -hmm. um and you start making those calls mid to late june early july where we will reach out and connect with all 29 other teams who's buying who's selling who might be available just because there's no way to know how to line up the players until you know what the field looks yeah. like who, who those guys are so then you start lining up the players in the, from the top to you know like the the can help anybody including yeah. us to nice roster fit for us would make us better yeah. um and then once you get to once you get through that you start crafting in your own mind what your tolerance is and what, you just have like a whiteboard basically i mean we Kinda. use the whiteboard towards the diet deadline <laughs> time mostly because my office is tends to be like a, a place where people huddle they, they yeah. like sit on the couch we yeah. pull chairs in and we just throw a bunch of bad ideas up on the board and yeah. see um you know obviously we used our internal system uh you know and, and we have like a a portal that we create around the trade deadline for for people in the office to rank out their targets, talk about their tolerances, share ideas, those sort of things. Um, and once you get to the trade deadline, like understand that like usually totally rational actors don't get the players that they want to have. Like you have to, whatever you think your tolerance is will change when it comes time to actually yeah. make a deal if you're buying at the trade mm -hmm. deadline. It's the same thing in the free agent market. And I know this like, this quote gets tweeted out all the time, but I think it's like, very accurate, Andrew Friedman said something like, 
every rational team finishes third in a free agent negotiation. Right. It's the same thing at the trade deadline, too. Like, there's a cover charge or a tax you have to pay in season when that's the only vehicle to acquire players. There's no more free agents out yeah. there. There's a finite number of players available. And when you're talking about someone like Castillo, there's a really finite player, a number of, like, true impact players yeah. that have some measure of club control beyond that year. So, like, be prepared to get uncomfortable when you have that as your top target. So you get when you say getting uncomfortable, you're talking about, okay, the Reds come back to you and say, look, we want this player, this player, this player. Now, again, you guys have to be hardcore negotiators yeah. and try and – is it like, you know, like the movie Draft Day, right? Yeah. Where he's sitting there and he's trying to, you know, use some psychological little – you know, shenanigans on the phone and stuff like Does it get like that where you're trying to, not that you're trying to, sh- because you have to have the relationship with teams. Like, same thing with Teoscar Hernandez getting yep. him. You have to have that relationship, uh, and you've had that, right, for the last couple of years because you've, you've been in that room before. But it comes down to where you have to essentially sell some of these prospects because you, like, okay, it's gonna, look, you're going to give up a lot, yep. right, as we know. Nuevo Marte, I watched him at the WBC qualifiers. I like, man, he's good. Yeah. Okay, it's going to be uncomfortable. But it, it gets down to a point where you get on the you get on the phone, right, with yep. these teams. Is, is it a Zoom call or is it a phone uh, call? Mostly phone call and text. Okay. Gotcha. No, no Zoom. Is it on speak with other people in the room? Uh, not usually. Some teams <laughs> do it that way. Um, you know, Typically, it'll be Jerry and I in the room, or he'll be in his office and he'll walk back into mine right. or vice versa. And sometimes it's on speaker mm-hmm. or just the two of us sitting around so the other person can hear the interaction yeah. while it's going. So you fire off some names. Do they go back and do their quick little number crunch? Yeah, very rarely do you ever get the no, we wouldn't do that before you get the idea out of your mouth. Almost everybody will give you the courtesy of, oh, we'll take a look at that and get back to you. Um, If it's just an idea that doesn't work, you don't have interest in the player, or it's just well beyond the scope of what you do, um, like we're pretty direct and honest. We would just we just say we wouldn't do that. Like that's yeah. that that's you know what you're asking for is just well beyond mm-hmm. what we would do. Or you know we wouldn't do these two, but we would do one of those guys yeah. in your choice of this group. Or you know there's you know there you what you want to do is always keep a path open yeah. to another idea. Gotcha. If you just shut down right away and say no no matter what we wouldn't do that do teams uh, do that ever not Any really no. like okay. i said most teams will at least give you the courtesy of saying let's talk about it with our group and we'll get back yeah. to you um that reds process took several weeks on okay. castillo of ideas and players going back and forth you know the number of players that they asked about was large um and they obviously had a lot of interest so they had to sort through the other teams that may yeah. have been interested in acquiring them and like what their respective tolerances would be and obviously when you're holding a player that's unlike anybody else is player that's available mm-hmm. and i think everybody generally knows what the top of the market of the trade deadline looks like they know where they have leverage and where they don't. And, you know, at a certain point, you're either willing to do what they say is required or you're not, and they move on. From the Reds' perspective, too, and because you, you guys have been in this situation acquiring prospects, how do you do your due diligence to find out what the kid – because it's a kid, man. You, you're acquiring a kid. There's such a – you know, obviously the mental side of the game, besides all the numbers, this kid might just have the ex of Villa of 140, right? Yeah. How do you figure out that that kid is going to come in, he's a hard worker, all the things, that the intangibles? How do you do that? I mean, networking and relationships yeah. are really valuable. Do you trust it, though? I mean... As much, you just do the best okay. you can. You know, like it's, you know, who has coached this player? Who scouted this player? What's the buzz from this player when he was an amateur player? 
you know, networking out to people that you may have worked with that may know someone who knows someone. You know, if we have a player in our system that played with them at another level, hey, what do you have on this player? Uh, those, you just do the best you can. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's such a process, man. And then you, when you guys landed Luis Castillo, I just, again, I have no idea. No one really does unless you're in the room. But it was that I respect the process here. It's insane. On the flip side for you guys, with Luis Castillo, do you guys, obviously you can ask a couple of Reds players that were there. What, what are the conversations like when, when figuring out this, how this dude is as a person? Yeah, it's, it's the same thing. It's, you know, do we know someone who's played in Cincinnati? Um, you know, if you have relationships with player reps and agents, um, that have had clients play yeah. with that player. Yeah. What, what do you got? Any issues? Anything we should know about? Um, talking to former staff members, either that had him along the way in the minor leagues, or had, you know, in Luis's case, had been in Cincinnati at some point along the way. Um, and we obviously had a ton of insight because Gino and Winker had been in Cincinnati. We had a like a very reliable red sources that we could go to to talk about what Luis is like as a person. Do you remember your first big, your decision where you're like, boom, were you stuck in neck out? Just like you're doing the interview when you first started with the Angels wow. saying that you know all the, all the, all the all, I know what's happening. Do you remember that, those, the initial time you're like, no, this guy, boom, and then you're like, oh man, I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, I don't think it's ever really like that. Um, you know, it's it's always very conversational with our group. There, you know, we as a group don't really believe in like the super executive, someone that just walks in the room like John Wayne and was like, "This is the effing guy." Like I, you know, like we just, you know, it's 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 more about the where our information, whether that's scouting information, roster fit, um, analytical info, where that takes us. Um, you know, I'd like to think that the, the best decisions we make are because we amplify our information the best. So but like, it's got to be impulsive at some point, right? Like there's got to be a, a, like a bit of a gunslinger, like, hey, let's just boom, pull the trigger. Yeah, I mean, there is a point where you say, I am in or I am out on this. Yeah. Um, so, gotcha. it, like, it, you know, and, and like I, in Castillo's case, like when Jerry and I, we were pretty comfortable that like, if we were willing to do what the Reds were asking for, we were going to get him. And if we weren't, we weren't. Like we had pushed as far as we could push. Yeah. Um, and they had essentially given us a deadline. If you're not willing to do this, we are going to go in another direction. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from there, and in, in, in their case, it was they wanted both Noelvi and Edwin as yeah. part of that deal. And if we weren't willing to do that, they were willing to move on. Um, and they were pretty steadfast that they were going to. And then sort of, other pieces involved in that deal, or really any other deal, um, are about reading the room, feel on the back and forth. Can you hear conviction in their voice? Are they leaving you a crack to and come up with a creative suggestion on how to make it more comfortable for you? Um, and so, like those those things are all impulsive. They're all gut feel. They're all subjective on how this negotiation is going. And do you believe them when they say they have something better? I feel like, you know, the winter meetings just went by and the Mariners were pretty quiet, yep. right? And, and for good reason, I think, you know, and, and you hear things obviously in social media, fans like, oh, like we saw this last offseason, Trevor Story and, and uh, Chris Bryant. It's like, it's got to be the right fit. And there's such a process behind the fact that, oh, big free agent, ton of money, here's years, boom, bring him over. Because there's so many other things that, that go into it. But, you know, with, with some of these free agents that we saw, some of these, these big ones, the Mariners, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I feel like you guys are in a different category now. I feel like, Rob, <laughs> going back to Robbie Ray last year, now you yep. had the, the lockout, which yep. had to be super challenging yep. if you're the Mariners. If you're the New York Mets yeah. and it gets to the point the CBA gets done 
and now all of a sudden players are scrambling, oh, Mets, big market, they want to win, thank you, I'll yeah. go there, X amount of years, whatever, right? It's a little bit more impulsive to use that word. I feel like this off season, or okay, look, going back to last year, all right, Robbie Ray, mm-hmm. and you were a big part of that. I've heard that from so many different people. You've talked about it with me before and, and other people. How do you, with a guy like that, he wants to go somewhere and win. Yep. Obviously, he's won the Cy Young. What is the process like luring him to come to Seattle to trust that you guys have got something worth coming here for? Yeah, it's interesting, and it's way different than it used to be. Um, when I first started, um, like I vividly remember with the Angels, you know, you do the either you fly to meet the player and yeah. his family and you go to dinner and it's it's more in person. Now, um, like kind of post-COVID, everybody's sort of experienced the, the ease of Zoom or, mm. or Teams or any sort of the video call technology. So we tend to get on sort of a video call with a player and his family and talk about, and that'll be Jerry or myself and Scott, talk about the Mariners like from a big picture perspective, what we're doing, you know, where we're going, why we think they may be a fit. And then we tend to do specialty calls afterwards. So if it's a pitcher, um, Woody and Trent will get on, some of our, and Joel yeah. Furman may get on um, uh, and talk about what we believe in um, from whatever position they play. In, in yeah. Robbie's case, you know, what's our pitching philosophy? You know, get to know them. So we tend to do multiple calls with the player. And then from that point, obviously now post-COVID, everybody can travel. Um, if there's a reason to, we can either go visit the player or yeah. they can come visit us. Um, he came up here, right? Robbie Ray came to Seattle? Not until after he signed. Oh, so after he signed. Okay. Yeah, he's obviously been here a lot um, gotcha. through the years. So we did, I want to say in the, the week leading up to us signing Robbie, we did, it was probably a two, two and a half hour call with just Jerry Scott and myself and then Woody Trent. Um, Skyler Shibayama and Joel Furman did another two and a half hours with Robbie like, on the back. And I, I give Robbie a ton of credit. I think he hung in there for like four or five hours with the Mariners well, on that, a Saturday. That, dude, like, I, I know if I was you know, being around some of these players, I haven't got the attention span to sit on Zoom for two and a half hours. You know, it's a, it, it, <laughs> no offense. Yes. Um, we tend, you know, I think in those cases, we blocked out like two total hours. But the conversation was just so easy and it went so well and he had questions and we had questions and we looked up and it was like, oh shit, like we are, we're beyond the scope of the total time and we haven't even turned you over to the pitching group. And I think Robbie was like, no, I'm good. Like, I'm really like, let's, let's keep going. Let's keep rolling. So, you know, I think that Robbie had done a lot of homework. His wife had done a lot of homework about Seattle, about the Mariners. Um, You know, he made a comment to us. You know, this was after the 2021 season that, you know, just watching your team play, mm-hmm. I see a lot of things that I'm excited about. We love the city. We've been to the city a lot yeah. um, on road trips. And that's like a common theme for us when players in free agency or when we acquire players is like they, one of the first things they cite is they love coming here as a player. Seattle is, I think you know this, like one of the favorite road trip cities for yeah. players. And, you know, because the summers are incredible here, um, they tend to stay downtown. You can walk to the park. Again, it's, it's, it's a great ballpark. It's a great setup. There's a lot to do. It's late until 10 o'clock at night. So like when you come here in the summer, yeah. everyone's like, oh, this is an unbelievable place. So yeah. there's a lot of interest from players from that perspective of having been the visiting player. In, in a you know, two and a half hour Zoom meeting or however you break it up, there had to be some bizarre conversation points that not, not t- techniques or, or you know, things to separate you guys from other teams. Yeah. Was there something that stuck out to you, you got off the Zoom going, man, I can't believe we talked about that. In, in order to try and lure him into to get to Seattle. Um, 
The one thing that stood out um, was obviously he's a really thoughtful person, um, but you know I wasn't aware that he was so close with Zach Greinke, um, okay. and that they had you know become like incredibly close friends through their time in Arizona together, and still were in touch almost daily. Um, and obviously, I had had a very small interaction with Zach when I was in Anaheim. I was the director of baseball ops and didn't spend a lot of time in the clubhouse. Jerry had spent a decent amount of time with Zach. He was the GM when we acquired Zach, so you know the the. That nugget wasn't something that I knew about or we knew about going into it. Um, and that, you know, again, familiarity with Zach and the type of person he is and how hard he works at his craft and that he and Robbie sort of shared philosophies right. and, and, and talked the game a lot. Um, again, a cool thing, not a needle mover necessarily, but a cool thing to know that yeah, you know, yeah. someone that, that has played for a long time that really is just an unbelievable baseball IQ was as invested in Robbie and vice versa. When you have... An- and I, I won't keep you too long. I know you're, you're busy. This is still a busy time of year. I get it. I, even after winning meetings and everything else. Pete Woodworth, man, I have so much respect for the guy. I just, every time I talk to a player, a pitcher, whether it's a, a you know, free agent or a young guy, they're, they're, they're oh, Pete. They just like, like when I say, oh, you know, uh, you know what, do you, not, what do you think of Pete? But yeah. if we bring him up, he's always impactful some way. So when, he, when Pete gets on a Zoom call like that with Robbie yeah. Ray, never, I don't know if he's ever met the dude or not. Yeah. Is, it, uh, is he good on the Zoom call? I suck on Zoom, by the way. <laughs> I'm I'd, I would butcher that thing I, so quickly. I, I probably stink too, to be honest. I think the, one of the biggest things about coaching and one of the things that makes Woody a great coach is the ability to connect, to put people at yeah. ease, to build trust quickly. Yeah. Um, there's certain people um, that I've been around and you know, I talked a little bit before we turned the camera on about one of the best parts of baseball is um, getting to see different people and their different paths through the game yeah. and get to meet people that are 25 years old to 75 years old who all love the game. And there's certain people that you meet in baseball who have an ability to make everyone feel like they're your best friend. Yeah. Um, and Woody's one of those people. Like I bet if you ask Woody who his best friend is, he could name like two or three people. If you asked everybody who knew Woody, <laughs> how many of them would say Woody is their best friend? It's probably a lot more than Dude, that. Dude, that's me. Yeah. I'm like, oh, he thinks I'm awesome. <laughs> but then I'm like, oh, everyone, everyone's the same way. Like he came out, um, his dad even, his dad rocked up. I had a baseball camp over the summer, and his dad rocked up. This is a couple years ago. And his dad was telling Woody, hey, man, make sure you go out. And, and then Woody texts me, he's like, hey, man, you got a baseball camp going on. I'll come. I'm like, are you kidding? And then he's like, it, it was unreal. He comes to, and the kids are asking the dumbest question, like, <laughs> questions like, oh, what's Luis Castillo's changeup? Or something like that. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're 10, that's great. And he just took it on like he's. He just took a shot at 10 year olds. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did. Um, no, great questions, by the way, kids. No, uh, you know, like, I've, again, Woody's one of those people. I worked with Gary DeSarcina uh, with I, the I Angels. Had him, and I had him. De- with the Red is Sox. one of those people he that, is. like, I agree they with just that. make you feel comfortable. Yeah. Um, Bud Black, uh, yeah. you know, obviously is managed for a long time and that's a real skill obviously it's just the ability to make you feel comfortable the ability to feel like you know in 10 minutes they'll talk about your family they'll talk about uh, a friend that they have a mutual friend that they have and you'll find yourself like oh i love that guy that guy's awesome and like that's that woody has that gift one thing you talked to me uh, because i talked about ex-players trying to get into a front office and you said one thing that they have to respect and understand is the amount of hours yeah Right, it's a lot. It's a lot of work for very little. Um, number one, players are so used to when they succeed, getting some notoriety, getting some, you know, some positive um, ass kissing. Right, <laughs> Big, th- that's how it was, man. I come. I came from. I grew up in Australia where no one cared about baseball. Mm-hmm. Come to the states, I'm like, man, everyone loves baseball, and you do well. Like, man, everyone thinks I'm awesome all of a sudden. <laughs> and then when you suck, it's, it's completely different. 
But going, if you could give advice to someone who wants to get into, to, be, to become a GM ultimately, yeah. which is really friggin' hard to do, we talked about it at the beginning, what, what's your advice? I think the, the biggest thing, and, and it, it's again, most of the time, if you end up as a GM or a president of baseball ops, that's just luck. That's just like, that finds you. But being invested and in baseball and doing the work and putting in the time, like you give yourself an opportunity for those things to happen by putting in the time, by being willing to do anything. Like, you know, I said it earlier, the number of bizarre or weird tasks that I had to do, like, yeah. you know, going to get the photographer donuts on photo day on the minor league side, right. like, you know, handing out minor league meal money, driving the file cabinets when that was a thing that we needed to have from Southern California to, to Arizona for spring training. Like, no job can be too small if you want to ultimately, like, achieve the biggest things because the little jobs allow you to be around when the cool stuff happens. They, they give someone a reason to have you in the room when there's a decision about a trade being made, and then they turn to you and say, hey, what do you think, new guy? And, like, that, you know, the, those moments are priceless. And it's not really that big a deal to go pick up donuts for the photographer. You know, you just do, you get up a half hour early and you go do it. You know, I'll keep you here for another hour. I don't want to take up too much of your time. You're a very busy man. But I, I, I do want to say this. You made a great point. Driving filing cabinets, picking up donuts, right? First of all, it, number one, you have to love baseball, yep. okay? If you're going to get into this, it's not something like, oh, yeah, cool, sports. I hear that all the time. I want to be involved in sport. No, no, no. Do you love baseball to the point where when, the, when you're watching the team, you lose sleep if they lose, yep. right? That's number one. And number two, you make a great point, man. I say this all the time to, to young kids and even baseball players or, you know, people ask me how to get into certain things, but... I always say this, someone is always watching. And I don't mean that you have to perform in front of people, but someone's always watching what you, what you do. So if someone hits you up and says, hey, go get the donuts for the, the camera guy, yeah. and you, your response, and not so much watching but listening or whatever you want to call it, if your response is like, okay, like this, and you have that tone, yeah. well, guess what? That's just a chook, another check of, uh, is this person going to be invested in my what we're trying to accomplish here? Yeah. It's frigging donuts, yeah. right? So when you take it to the point where you're like, you know what, I'll get those friggin' donuts because those little things, they all add up to the point where you mentioned someone in that room is going, hey, new guy, hey, intern or whatever, what do you think about this player? Yeah. And boom. And then you all of a sudden you have, because they're going to ask you that because your response for the donuts, right? Yeah, I think it's just building credibility over time that you, you have a passion for the game, that you'll do whatever anybody asks you to do. And, you know, I... You know, taking full circle, when I had my last interview with the Angels to see if they were going to offer me the job, yeah. um, you know, Tony Regan said, anything you want to leave me with? And I just looked at him and I said, I will do whatever you want me to do if you right. think it's going to help us win one more game this year. Right. And if that means washing your car, I'll do that every day. You just tell me what that is. Like, this is the only thing I want to do with my life. And because the hours are long, because there's not a lot of notoriety, because, you know, the rewards tend to come at the end. It's not like you walk in the door and you're going to be immediately, like, financially wealthy by taking a job in baseball. Um, you have to have that attitude. You have to do it because this is the job you want, this is the career you want, and because it means something to you to pull up to the ballpark every day and have that be your job. Like, most people don't get that. It's really cool. It's yeah. like I, yeah. I still have days where I, like, I pull into the park and I'm, like, excited that, like, oh, my God, I get to walk into the stadium yeah. today and go to work. And, like, that sounds hokey or cheesy, but it's true. And I think it's the only way that you can 
get through the lonely long hours, the, the times where you were frustrated because you didn't get asked your opinion that day or you didn't get to do the thing you wanted to do. Like it, it doesn't come instantly. And so like the idea of, you know, having a great attitude, appreciating that you get to do something that most other people would kill to have their job. Did you have that moment when you found out you're going to be the GM that you, yeah. you know, hugged your wife or you're like, yeah. man, boom. It, it, she it, was it, actually with me um, when Jerry called uh, to make me the offer. And I, you know, John Stanton had brought it up over the course of the last year before it yeah. happened that, you know, this is something that they would like to look at long term. Yeah. They really wanted me to be here and thought it was a great combination with Jerry and I. And when Jerry called, I happened to be in the car with, with Whitney in the morning and he called to offer me the job and, you know, said a lot of nice things about me uh, and that hey, it was important to him that I, you know, was his partner in this process. And like, you know, so cool. try not to choke up when you hear yeah, that. But yeah. like, you know, you work with someone for 10 years and they put themselves on the line by yeah. saying that, like, they believe in you that much that they wanted to happen and you know just like you know why players family their their parents their brothers their sisters are invested in them like our families now as adults and executives are really invested in the baseball schedule and like you know you know i probably don't win dad of the year at times because yeah. i miss things because i'm not able to do things because i'm traveling because i'm not home for bedtime every other week for six months and then i'm yeah. gone for spring training like to see Whitney's pride and like that moment and her happiness with this, this opportunity, like those things mean a lot, like more than I could ever put into words because they put up with a lot of crap for, <laughs> for our schedules and for our jobs. Did you go buy drive off and go buy donuts? Uh, we, <laughs> we did a little something nicer than that, uh, but yeah, we uh, it was it was a good day. Thank you, Captain Dose. Yeah, exactly. It was it was a great week, obviously, to have yeah. it timed up with the Mariners breaking a drought. And I said at the time, like I'll probably never have a better week than that just being yeah. honest like you know when we were in the world series like that'll yeah. be the only thing that's equivalent to that like in terms of my professional career because like it just means so much to people here and like because it had been so long to get to the playoffs and obviously we have bigger aspirations than that but to have the the offer happen two days later yeah. cal hits the walk-off homer Man, and like not just yeah and then and then they announce it the next day and like it's like a culmination of a lot of things and like what could you want more than that? Than like the, your own professional success coinciding with like a huge team accomplishment yeah, all at sure. once, and that's those are I'll never forget that week. I had massive fun. I was in Panama doing the the qualifiers for the World Baseball Classic. When you hit that home run, <laughs> I literally took two and I, I was <coughs> broadcasting. I took two innings. I said, "You got this." I just kept watching videos over and over. It was so cool. I can't believe I missed it. Um, I was. Uh, I you know. I know Goldie. Uh, Aaron Goldsmith was away from the team that day doing the Fox yes, National game. That's right. and I actually, um, uh, uh, I got introduced to Ben Gibbard from Death Cab for Cutie, the musician, and they are huge baseball fans, huge Mariners fans. Yeah, they're and, from here, right? Yes, yeah. and I guess they were in the Carolinas or something like that doing a show, and someone was bringing them game updates during the show. Like, you know, oh, it's one more, it's nothing, Man. nothing. And like they're in the seventh <laughs> so cool. inning. And like when uh, when Cal hit the homer, I guess they went crazy. Uh, that is like, awesome. like, it's like those are the things, like, you know, I've said yeah. it before, like when things are going good and you get to walk out of the stadium and just like the, the stadium is erupting or people are chanting, like, let's go Mariners. Like it's just bigger than you in that moment. You're really affecting the community in a really cool yeah. way. And so like, you know, 
the donuts don't seem a big deal. Yeah. The, the running the errands don't seem a big deal because like the reward is for sure. It's like, it's, it's 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 more than just like oh, I, a cool thing happened to me. It's like a cool thing happened to a whole city, and yeah. I was like this big a part of it. Yeah, that's really awesome. Yeah, you were bigger than that, man. I mean, like that that's just it. That's what people have to understand. It's like. You, Jerry, and, and everyone in that front office, you guys, it's been 20 plus years, right? And last year, they got a taste of it. Speaking of, people will kill me. I got a lot of people, Mariner fans, who, who listen to this podcast, probably about 60% of the people who listen to, are from Seattle. What are, what's in store for the Mariners 2023? Real quick. Yeah. I, I, obviously, you've been asked this a thousand times. I saw you on the MLB Network during the winter meetings. But what, 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 are, what are we looking forward to in 2023? I think the bar has been raised. Yeah. You know, like it's not good enough to like hope we make the playoffs or like try to be a little bit better. Maybe we'll be competitive. Like we feel like we have a playoff team. Yeah. You know, from the number one starter, whoever that whoever pitches on opening day to the 26th guy on the roster, like everyone knows that our goal is to try and win the World Series this year. And, you know, when you have young players that get better fast, things can change pretty quickly. And I think we saw that last year. The team that we started with on opening day was not nearly as the good as as good as the team that we finished with. And that's because Julio Rodriguez got a lot better like, and got comfortable, and Cal Raleigh changed, and George Kirby came to the big leagues, and Logan Gilbert got better, and we added Luis Castillo, and so like continuing the evolution of those players, and Matt Brash, and Andres Munoz, and adding to our team this offseason, like they, everyone has the common goal of like how do we get better every day now, because it's not rebuild time, it's not like we're looking to yeah. five years from down the road, it's like this team is good now, mm-hmm. Like, let's go do something special. For sure. I could, there's a thousand Mariner questions I could ask you, but everyone's going to hear that as we get moving on. Plus, this is going to be a um, weekly podcast. No, I'm joking. I'm just kidding. <laughs> awesome, Justin. This I don't want to steal Jerry's thunder. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. This has been fun, Justin. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, buddy. Awesome. Very cool.